Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Arbor Church. It is good to be back on the stage. My name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. If it's your first time here and I avoided you like the plague, it's because I'm afraid you might have it. Um, <laughs> it can never be too sure these days, so we want to do our part around church and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, thanks for coming out, particularly on Time Change Sunday. You should have seen the 9 o'clock crowd. Um, they were basically asleep, not because of the message. Well, maybe because of the message. Um, but we are wrapping up this series that we have been calling Love Connection. And if you've been here in the past two weeks, I, I hope you've enjoyed it. It's something different. We try to do a little bit of a lighter take on what can sometimes be a heavier topic, so to speak. Um, so as Christina Cooper was saying, she kicked off this conversation talking about falling in love. And she landed on a couple of really interesting things. She tried to, number one, mitigate some of those intoxicating effects, if you will, of those early days when you're really beginning to fall in love, so to speak. And then she gave us an interesting challenge. She said, what would it look like in your life if you were to focus on becoming the right person rather than going out and looking for the right person? And I thought that was brilliant, and I thought she did a masterful job. Adam Duckworth, our volunteer coordinator, last week, he spoke about staying in love, this idea that love is much more than just an emotion. Really, at the end of the day, it's a choice. It's a decision. And when you are married and when you're in this long-term relationship, there are things, there is work that you need to do to put into that marriage to make sure it is healthy. And I can't begin to tell you how many folks grabbed me afterwards and were like, that was great. Like, we've been married for 20, 30 years, and, and there, you, you can't hear that advice enough. These are things that we all need to be doing regularly. So if you've missed those messages I would encourage you to go back, go to our website, soflowchurch.com, and give them a listen. But today, as we kind of wrap up this series, uh, I want to land on this idea of recovering from love. This is a big topic, and I've now had two weeks to think about this, so I got a lot for you. Today's going to be like taking a sip out of a fire hose, so get ready, all right? Um, but what do I mean by kind of recovering from love? What does that look like? Um, for today's context, I think the best way to sort of couch this is that what would it look like for us to bounce back from heartbreak, sort of bounce back from when things fell apart? And it looks different for a lot of us. Um, you know, maybe for you, you're, you're sort of dating. It's casual. Maybe, you, you know, you found somebody on Hinge or whatever, you know, the kids are using these days. And, uh, um, and you went on a couple dates. You had a great time. You know, you're, you know nothing serious but you guys are having some laughs, you're having fun. And then out of nowhere, he just stops texting you. Out of nowhere, she just stops calling you. Just, you completely get ghosted. And you're just like, well, what, like, what happened? I, don't, I, I knew nothing was serious. I knew we weren't getting married, but I thought we were having a nice, that hurts, that stinks. Maybe for you, um, maybe you were in a long-term relationship, dating for two, three years. There was a future. You talked about that future. You talked about what, you know, what would it look like for us to get married? What would it look for us to have, for have kids? And then one day, you saw that text on her phone. Or one evening, you just glanced over and you saw that email on his computer. And your future just came crashing down all around you. Or perhaps you were married for some length of time. Five years, 10 years, 20 years. I don't know. And it ended in divorce. And to this day, you don't really know what happened. Maybe you do, but nobody gets into a marriage 
with the plans of getting divorced. So I don't know where you are on that spectrum. I don't know if I've even sort of hit your story, so to speak. But here's what I just want to, before we kind of dive in, I just, I just want to say this. I'm sorry. And it's not that I feel sorry for you. You don't need that from me. I just, I'm, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And I'm sorry that perhaps you're going through it, right? Maybe, maybe this just happened last night to you and you're here and you're just saying, I cannot believe this guy on stage is talking about this. I just, just, whatever the case may be, when a relationship falls apart, it is painful and it hurts. And, I, and I'm just sorry that you, had, that you had to go through that and that you're struggling with that. But here's what I know about you because you come to Downtown Harbor Church. I know that you're a person of action. Because you come to this church, I know that you're a person who wants to hear something from God, put it into your life so that you can see change in your life. I know that you're a person that wants to regroup, to recover, and restart. And so my hope for today is that I want to give you, let's call it three pieces of advice, three concepts, three building blocks that you can implement right now today in your life so that the next time is not like the last time. I was kind of running this idea past my buddy this week, and he's married, and I was talking to another friend last night who's currently dating, and they go, well, you know, we're not dealing with heartbreak, so do we not come? (laughs) You know, there's a temptation, I think, when you hear this to sort of tune out. You say, well, my relationship's great. I don't, this is not really for me. I would just say this. Avoid the temptation to tune out, because I've structured this today in a way that I believe you'll be able to get something from this. If you're in a second marriage, you're going to learn something today. Perhaps, even if you've had another relationship outside of the one that you're currently in, my hope is that you will hear truth today that you can begin to implement even in your own relationship now to begin to improve them. So the first concept, piece of the puzzle, so to speak, that we need to kind of internalize, get our hands around, begin to understand, is something that you're not going to like at all. In fact, there's a lot of this message today that you're not going to like. But the first thing that we have to do, if we want to make sure that next time is not like the last time, is you got to own your piece of the past. you got to own your piece of the past. That, that whatever took place in that last relationship, the hurts, the trauma, whatever that looked like, if you want to ensure that the problems that you faced in that relationship don't make their way into their current or next one, you really need to own your role in all of that. I think you hear that, and a lot of us sort of recoil at that notion. And I think we're quick to say, well, there's, there's nothing to own. It wasn't my fault. John, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're doing this message. I'm glad you got the slides up there. But you should just know, I don't know what's everybody else's story, but for me, it was all them. Okay? It was all him. It was all her. It had nothing to do with me. It was entirely their fault. I mean, honestly, I was just reading my Bible all day long and knitting a prayer shawl. And out of left field, boom, this thing just fell apart. I mean, it was completely their fault. There is something inside each and every single one of us that does not want to own up to our piece of the past. And it's simple. It's because there's a better story to tell. There's a story that we start telling where it gets us sympathy and it removes the target off our back. It's a story where it's all on them. It's all their fault. I was an innocent party in all of this. And this is something that we as humans have been doing since the beginning of time. The one thing that we do really, really well is that 
we blame. I do it, you do it, politicians do it, and your children do it better than anybody else. I, I love watching little kids blame each other. They are so quick to throw each other under the bus. It is just, it's, it's the human condition. It is what we do. And this tendency to blame other people worked its way into you know, our bloodstream, worked its way into our DNA, so to speak, because of something that happened between the very first married couple, Adam and Eve. Let me just briefly tell you this story because it's, it's important in our conversation about recovering from love. So Adam and Eve were the very first humans. God made Adam and Eve. I believe that Adam and Eve were real because Jesus believed that they were real. And when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them inside the Garden of Eden and he gave them only one rule. Imagine having just one rule with God. So he calls Adam and Eve over and he goes, all right, you got one rule. You see that tree over there? And Adam's like, you mean the one with the the rope around it with the sign that says, don't eat it? That's the one. God's like, just, you got one rule. Do not eat of that tree. You got it? Yeah, we got it. And then they ate it. All right, it didn't take very long, a couple of hours. They disobeyed God. They ate the fruit and sin entered the world. And that sin wrecked everything for all of us. Now, God was well aware that this took place. And God, like Jesus, are, they're like good attorneys. They never ask a question that they don't already know the answer to. There's a nickel worth of free advice for you. Your attorney's asking you a question. They know the answer, all right? So God pulls Adam into his office. He says, let me ask you a question. Have you eaten from the tree of which I told you not to eat? Impeccable grammar on God's part, by the way. He goes, have you eaten from that tree? Now, Adam, who was our forefather in this moment, has a chance, an opportunity to own up to his piece of the past. He could look at God and say, you know what? Yeah. I, I, I knew I wasn't supposed to eat that fruit, um, but I did it anyway. And just between you and me, God, let's leave Eve out of it. She had nothing to do with this. I take full responsibility. I take all the blame. I own up to, all, to my role in all that mess. Yes, God, I own up to my piece of the past. But let's see what Adam actually said. Adam goes, you gave this woman to me, and she gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate it. So I ate it, okay? Essentially, what Adam is saying here is, hey, God, just so you know, this is your fault. Hey, God, just so we're clear, this is Eve's fault. This is all y'all's fault. In fact, this is entrapment. I mean, but for you and but for her, I honestly wouldn't have eaten it. I mean, I'm an innocent party in, in, in all of it. And now that I'm thinking about it, you owe me an apology, God, coming at me, asking me if I ate the fruit. I wouldn't have, anyway. Here's the thing about this statement. This is a true statement. What Adam is saying right here is a true statement. It just wasn't the whole truth. And this is what we all do when we tell the story about how our previous relationships end. We want to tell a story that is mostly true. Because we want to tell a story that is, even if it's just 95% true, let's say it, the longer we tell a story that's mostly true, the more likely we are to believe it. And as George Costanza said, it's not a lie if you believe it. And that's an issue. Because if you don't begin to own up to your piece of the past, ultimately, not immediately, but ultimately, you will undermine your own future and your own happiness. You see, you can't blame your way into a better future. 
Because even if your role in the past, let's just be honest, even if it was like this big and, and that person really did everything and you just did this much, blame is going to enable you to smuggle this issue into your future relationships. And it sets you up for a repeat performance. This is why so many of our relationships, I don't know if you're a serial dater or whatever the case looks like. That's why so many of our relationships feel like copy and pastes of the old one. You're just like, John, it just feels like it's the same thing. The same thing is keep happening. Yeah, you're the common denominator. You are the one who keeps smuggling in your issue, no matter how small it might be, you're the one who keeps smuggling this issue into your relationships. That's why we really have to begin asking and answering what was my part in all of this? And I know we don't want to do that, and I know we don't want to answer that, but this is such a massive component if we want to make sure that next time is not like the last time. So as we begin to sort of think about this and wade into the pool of our past, so to speak, and begin to evaluate, perhaps for the first time, things that we may have done, one of the questions that we're bound to ask is, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And generally speaking, when we ask this question, usually we ask it with a little bit more exasperation. It's kind of like, ah, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Like, like, how did I ever get involved with that person? What was I thinking? How did I not see the red flags? My parents said something. My friend, how did I not see this coming? What was I thinking? We've all said this to ourselves. We've all looked in the mirror at some point in our lives and go, what are you thinking? Instinctually, we ask this question, but very few of us stop to answer it. Very few of us stop to answer it. And therein lies the problem, and therein lies the next piece of the puzzle, so to speak. If you want to make sure that next time is not like the last time, we have to stop and actually answer the question, what was I thinking? Because if you don't, if you continue to think how you used to think, you'll do the things you used to do. If every time a relationship ends, you just throw your hands up and go, uh, what was I thinking, and jump back in, uh, what was I thinking, and jump back in, you are setting yourself up. You are perpetuating that copy and paste, history repeating mindset. And we need to begin answering the question, what was I thinking, and changing this if we want to see a difference in our next relationships. Paul speaks into this concept in a, a book or a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians in Rome. And he says it like this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. He's basically saying, look, if, if you continue to act and think like everybody else out there, quickly, very quickly, you will be pulled in to the current of culture. You will be sucked in to the flow of culture. And going with the flow is very easy. That's what we say. Yes, go with the flow. Go with the flow takes no energy. Going with the flow takes no effort. Going with the flow takes no time. Going with the flow is very easy. So Paul says, instead, be transformed. He's saying, I want you to make a difference. I want you to make a decision, pardon me, to think differently. I want you to make a decision to live your life differently. I want you to make a decision to think about relationships differently, to which I think we would all say, I want that. Yes, I want that in my life. What do we do? And he goes, it's very simple. You do it through the renewing of your mind. 
And that's a massive topic. That could be a sermon series in and of itself, the renewing of one's mind. But for us today, in part, renewing your mind is stopping to actually answer the question, what was I thinking? See, when we think of the word renew, the the best way to understand this concept is actually the fact that it means restore. So have you ever restored anything in your life, like furniture or maybe a car? You've sort of seen the process of what it looks like to to sort of bring something down to its bare metals and bring it back to life so it's it's brand new. I don't don't know if you've watched Joanna Gaines before. I think we all watched Joanna Gaines. We all, you know, watched Shiplap in our house, all that kind of stuff. Um, So I was watching it, and I was really convinced that, you know, I could do what she, like what she does, not decorating it necessarily, but like I could really restore furniture. That guy, she goes to that shop, I could do that. That is something that I'm capable, because I mean, I've watched the montage of things being sanded and prepped. This is something that I can do. So I'm going to start um, small. I started with my mailbox at my house. Mailbox was getting a little bit rusty, the paint that was chipping off. And so I go to Home Depot, and I, and I knew what was necessary to, to get this job done. I get all the proper paints, I get all the various forms of sandpaper because you need to sand down all the old paint. You got to get down to the bare metal, all that kind of stuff. So I put the mailbox on my driveway, lay out the newspaper, all this kind of stuff, and I begin to do the prep process. And there's a reason that the prep process only takes 10 minutes on the show. It's because it's boring to do the whole thing, and they just want to make it as short as possible. So I'm in like five, 10 minutes, and I go, this is enough. I'm just going to paint this thing, all right? This is enough of the prep. I'm just going to skip ahead to the end. I'm going to paint it. And I painted it white. And I'm going to be honest with you. It looked great. I mean, it really, it, it looked fantastic. But the truth is I skipped a lot of steps in the prep process. And here's what it looks like today. Okay, that's a real picture of the mailbox. Um, this mailbox, every time I walk past it, which is just so bad looking at this point, is a constant reminder of why you cannot skip the crucial steps of the preparation period. Because when you don't do the proper preparation, the new paint peels off and the old paint comes to the surface. And the problem is that so many of our relationships, we don't do the proper prep time and all of the old issues begin to make their way to the surface. We have never stopped to answer the question, what was I thinking? All of that prep work. And the reason we don't do that is because renewal takes time. Answering the question, what was I thinking, takes time. Evaluating what we had gone through, thinking about what we had gone through, and actually answering that question takes time. And we often fall into one of the biggest traps. We often believe one of the biggest lies, and that is that time is our enemy. We would say, John, listen, Everything that you said so far, it sounds great. I know the Bible. I like all this looks good, but I don't have time for that. I am getting older. I am getting lonelier. My friends are all married. My friends all have kids. I don't have time to, do, to answer the question, what was I thinking? I don't have time to do the renewing and the, restor- and the restoring and the transform. That all sounds great. I don't have time for that. I got to get back into the game. I got to act, and I got to act now. Time is against me. Time is my enemy. I'll just tell you this. According to what I read in the scripture, time is our friend. Time is our friend. I know you want to get back in the game. I know you don't want to be alone. I understand that. But I can tell you this. According to what I read in the Bible, God has a plan for your life. 
This is the time in your life when you need to work on becoming the right person rather than frantically trying to find the right person. You need to stop. You need to renew. You need to transform. You need to be getting into church. You got to be going to groups. You need to be reading the scripture. You need to be working on correcting your thought patterns, becoming the right person before you frantically trying to jump back in. Because when we believe the lie that time is our enemy, that's when we start making really bad decisions. And I understand that time is passing us by. Every time I look in the mirror, I'm reminded when I see all this gray hair on my head that time is quickly going. But I'll just tell you this. My old pastor gave me a piece of wisdom, and I will never forget it. He said, the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had. When you run off ahead of God, trying to accomplish something on your own time, because time is your enemy, I got to make it happen, I got to get... Here's my piece of advice to you. Don't jump back into a relationship too soon. You need prep time. You need to be asking God, what do I need to change? What do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to do to transform up here that will translate into change here that will ultimately translate into different kinds of relationships? And that takes time. That doesn't happen overnight. But if you want your next relationship to be different than the last, you cannot skip the prep process. If you want that relationship to stick like new paint. So the last sort of piece of the puzzle, so to speak, that we need to sort of get our minds around is what do we do about the other person? Because so far, we've, we've talked a lot about ourselves. We've talked about owning our own piece of the past. We've talked about reevaluating the way in which we think, trying to answer the question, what was I thinking? But what do you do about the person that is, oh, I don't know, 99% at fault? How do you handle that? What are you supposed to do? Well, the words I'm going to put up on the screen here is, if you've been at Downtown Harbor Church any length of time, you've heard us use this word a lot. It starts with an F. Um, it's the word forgiveness. Um, and here's the, the deal with this word forgiveness. If, you've, if you're a person who's been hurt, if you're a person who has been even abused in a prior relationship, when you hear this word forgive, it stings. And you almost recoil at the idea of, of, of forgiving this person. Let me explain to you what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not you approving their actions. Because I feel like a lot of people think if I, for, if I forgive that person, they're going to think what they did was okay. If I forgive this person, it's going to seem like what they did didn't matter, that that was okay. That, they, that is not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness does not mean that you approve of their actions. Forgiveness prevents their actions from destroying your heart. And it is such a massive component if we want to make sure that next time is not like the last time. Because just like owning up to your own piece of the past, just like owning your own piece of the past prevents you from smuggling your issues into your future, forgiveness prevents you from smuggling that person's issues into your future. I want to ask you a question, and you're not going to like it. 
But I think it's a question that you really, you need to sit on and meditate on. How far into your future do you plan to carry the negative energy of your past? I think a lot of people would say, well, John, I don't plan to do that. Well, if you don't plan not to, you plan to. And I chose this word negative energy, even though it sounds like one of those new agey kind of words, because it speaks to the, the broad spectrum of the emotions that we deal with when it comes to that person and that relationship. How far into your future do you plan to carry that anger, that hurt, that trauma, that negative energy? How far do you plan to carry that into your future? Let's ask it this way. How long do you plan to allow those who mistreated you to influence you? Another week? Another month? Another decade? Into another marriage? I mean, how long are you going to allow that person to have an influence over your life, your mental health, the way that you experience love, and ultimately your future? Paul speaks into this issue, and he gives us a little bit of advice. And he says this, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin, which is interesting in and of itself because Paul is saying there is an appropriate time to be angry. And in fact, anger is such a huge issue. I think I want to talk about it in three weeks. But he's saying there is an appropriate time to be angry. You don't have to be okay with how things turned out. You don't have to be okay with how that relationship fell apart. You are allowed to be angry. But be careful. You have to be careful when you're dealing with anger. Just be careful. It doesn't cause you to sin. And he says something interesting. He says, do not, and that's a choice, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. This is a very famous piece of advice. Perhaps you've heard this before and didn't realize it was from the Scripture. You could take this literally. I mean, if you're, let's say you're married, and let's say you and your spouse get into a little bit of a tiff, okay? Um, Let's just say, for example, that you innocently left a cup on the, you know, the side table next to the couch. And you've been reminded many times not to leave cups all over the house. And this sort of leads into some passive-aggressive words being exchanged, and now you can cut the tension with a knife in your house. Very, very pleasant household to live in when those kind of things happen. And the thing about Florida is that because our homes are small, because there's not like a second story, you are forced to be around this person for the rest of the night. And every time you pass in the hallway, it's very dramatic. It's like, pardon me, excuse me, right? Don't let me get in your way. Very, this is an enjoyable part of our lives. We've all dealt with this at some point. Paul is like, look, look, knock it off. Number one, this is stupid, okay? You, you, need to, you need to get over this. And in fact, you need to work on this before you go to bed. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. If you go to bed and you're still angry about the cup, tomorrow it's going to be the cup plus something else. It's going to snowball. And the next thing you know, it's out of control. I think Paul would look at some of us, though, with hurts from the past, And he would say, some of you are going to have hurt and anger that is just too big to deal with by the time the sun goes down. Paul gets that. He goes, you may not solve the problem by the time the sun goes down on that prior relationship. But he doesn't let us off the hook. I think he would look at us and say, but how many sunsets are you going to let happen 
before you deal with your anger? How many times are you going to watch that sun go down while you are seething with anger with what happened so many years ago? Paul says, if if you don't deal with this anger, you are opening yourself up to a problem. You're opening yourself up to a really dangerous situation. He says it like this. He says, do not give the devil a foothold. That's what he says when you don't deal with your anger. He goes, do not give the devil a foothold. And this word foothold in the Greek means opportunity or staging ground. But I love the choice of words here of foothold. When I was in fifth grade, we were forced to do rock climbing in gym. It was an awful idea. I hate every moment of it. I don't know if you've ever seen rock climbing, but like there's this wall and they had these, these little plastic things, these rocks that are they're called footholds that you use to climb up the wall. Paul is painting a picture here. He goes, when you deal with anger, when you let it sit and marinate and grow and you don't deal with it and you let it get bigger and bigger and bigger, goes, you are literally, you are literally giving Satan footholds in your life, allowing him to climb higher and higher and further and further into your future. You're giving him an opportunity. You're giving him a staging ground to impact and influence your life. So what do you do? See, the best way to apply this particular scripture to our lives in the context of what we're talking about and in the context of what Paul is talking about in this moment is actually to remove the name the devil out, which in this point means liar or accuser. And I would challenge you to put the name of the person that hurt you. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think we really need to say, do not give Frank a foothold. Do not give Karen a foothold. And this is not me saying that your ex is the devil. I mean, you've said that enough for the both of us, okay? But this is me saying that Satan can absolutely 100% use the negative energy and anger from that relationship like a bit in your mouth steering you and taking control of your life. So what's Paul's advice? Because instead, he says, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice and instead be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving, and there's our word, forgiving each other. And I think this word forgiving for those of us who have been hurt in the past, it trips us up. As we start thinking about that person, we think about what they did to us. We think of the hurt. And I think we hear Paul's advice and we say, oh, yeah, I'll forgive when they say I'm sorry. Oh, really? Talk to me about that. Yeah, no, no. I'll forgive that person um, when they come crawling back on their hands and knees. Yeah. I'll forgive that person when they acknowledge that they did this, when they acknowledge they did that. I'll forgive them when, when they admit that I was right, when, when they acknowledge that they were wrong. When they accomplish all of these conditions that I've set up, then I'll forgive them. Let me tell you what's not going to happen. That apology. It's never going to happen. You know it. That's why you've set those conditions up, because you want to use that like a tool in your own life. You are never going to get that apology. And the truth is, when you do finally get an apology, if you do, you're not going to like it. 
Because the sad thing is that that person doesn't even know all the ways that they've hurt you. So they're never going to forgive you. They're never going to um, apologize for what they've done. That's why when we hear this word forgive and forgiveness, we need to think of it as a pardon. What's a pardon? A pardon is when you go before a judge. Judge looks at you and says, let me just be honest with you. You're guilty. You are 100%. You are absolutely guilty of the crimes that you've committed. But you don't have to pay for them. I am pardoning you. See, if we want to make sure that next time is not like the last time, the only way that we are going to break the chain between our past and our future is to pardon the one who has hurt us. And your motivation for doing that is not that they deserve it, because they don't. Your motivation for doing that is that just as in Jesus, put this up for him, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You see, we didn't deserve the forgiveness that we got from God. When God looked at us, he said, just so you're aware, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're guilty. Your actions, your decisions, your thought patterns, all of that has broken our relationship. You are 100% guilty of the things that you are charged with. But because of what my son Jesus died on the cross for, I'm going to pardon you. I'm going to choose to cut the chain linking your past to your future. And this is such an enormous blessing for us because forgiveness allows our past to remind us, but not define us. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ allows us to look into our past and say, you know what, that was me. I can own up to my piece of the past. Yes, I did that. That was me. That's who I was then. But because of Jesus Christ, because they have pardoned me, that is not me now. That chain between my past and my future has been severed because I have been pardoned by God. And when we choose, and it's a decision, but when we choose to pardon those who have hurt us, we similarly cut that chain. It allows us now to begin getting distance between our current situation and that prior relationship. It allows us to be reminded and say, you know what, that was me. I was responsible in some of those things, but that's not me now. That pain, that's not me anymore. I can recover. I can regroup. I can restart because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I can have a new future. I can have one that looks far different than my past, even in my relationships. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So this week, I want to give you homework. So I want to make sure that you can practically apply sort of what you've heard today. And I know sometimes you hear homework and you go, ah, I'm not going to do that. It's just one of those things they say. I really want you to do this. When you get home, I want you to take out a piece of paper. Go by yourself. Get a piece of paper and draw a circle. And this circle is going to represent that relationship, whatever that relationship is. And what I want you to do, and I really, really, really want you to do this, I want you to pray to God 
and ask him, number one, to soften your heart. But I would ask that you would pray to God and say, God, would you, would you reveal to me the breakdown of responsibility in this relationship, the breakdown of fault? Because we're tempted to make it look like this. This is the story that we've been telling. I, I, maybe I did like 1%. It's all that. This is the story that we've been telling. This is the story that's mostly true. This is the story that has been enabling us to smuggle our issues into our current and future relationships. This is not helpful. But let's just say hypothetically, God reveals to your heart that, oh, I don't know, it's 50-50. I know this is not your case, but let's just pretend for a moment, right? Let's pretend for a moment that it is. Here's what I want you to do. Pretend like the red section is you. I would challenge you to begin to write a list Okay, write a list of the things that you did. Own up to your piece of the past. Write in this list the, 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 the unwise decisions that you made. Write a list of the bad thought patterns that you had hold, held on to. And because your list is unique to you, only you are going to know what's on this list and no one's going to look at your list but yourself. I would challenge you to plot a course as to how to actively fix these issues. Use this list as a checklist to help make sure that your next time is not like the last time. Perhaps even for you in this preparation period before you slap on the new paint, you might say to yourself, you know what? Before I've worked on everything in this list, I'm not gonna jump back into a new relationship. I, I gotta do some prep work in my life. I gotta invite God to come into my life to help fix what's up here so that it fixes what's here so that I can really make a difference in my next relationship. What would that look like for you? Let's talk about the other person. The other person who's in the blue side of this circle. Rather than writing a list of what that person has done to you, because I think you've been sharing that list for the last who knows how many years. I think what might be more challenging and more beneficial is to write a list of what that person has taken from you. That's a much harder list to write. That's a list that I believe will truly begin to reveal something much more profound than just talking about what they did to you. And my hope is that when you begin to look at this list of what this person has taken from you, what you come to learn is that there's no way they could ever repay you for what they've taken from you. It's just, if they work the rest of their life, there are things that they could never repay. This debt that they owe you, they could never repay this back to you. My challenge would be in this moment to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to pardon them. To say, you know what? You don't deserve it, but I'm not gonna make you pay anymore for what you've done for me. I just simply believe that if we begin to do these things today, our next time can be a heck of a lot different than the last time. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today and just for the last three weeks, Lord, talk about love, the greatest invention that you ever made. But Lord, when we talk about love, um, unfortunately, hurt comes pretty close behind. 
And I just know that, that unfortunately so many of us in this room, listening online, are actively dealing with hurt. So I first pray, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would just supernaturally touch these folks in this moment. Lord, your word is clear that you are near to the brokenhearted, perhaps nearer than ever before. And I pray that they would feel your presence today, that they would feel your love. But I pray, Lord, that they would know that they can recover and they can restart. And I ask, Lord, that because of what we've seen in your scripture, that you would challenge us to begin to, to look inside to begin to own up to perhaps some of the things that we may have done and show us ways, Lord, that we can learn from your son, that we can begin forgiving those that have hurt us, that we can actively begin cutting the chain, tying our past to that future, that bright future that you want for every single Help us, Lord, to love again. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.